colleges across the country are partnering with other schools to help increase enrollment and streamline education. But what is Columbia doing? That and more. Show us what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. Hi, Blaze. Good to see you. Holly, Michael, hello, hello. I'm here to talk about Columbia's enrollment strategies. Uh, let me just pull out my recorder really quick. Get this thing out of the... Hold on. One second. Hold on. I'm sorry. Let me just plug this and position that here. Is everyone okay that I record this? Okay. Here. So we are currently recording. Can I get you to state your first and last name and then your title at the college? Holly Herrera, Associate Provost for Transfer Initiatives and Academic Partnerships. Okay. Michael Joseph, Vice President of Enrollment Management. Hey, Michael, Holly, I'm going to get started with my questions here. And my first one is pretty simple. In 2013, Columbia had 10,142 students. That's both undergrad and graduate students. And in 2017, Columbia had 7,312 students. So what is Columbia currently doing with programs in place to grow enrollment. So Columbia, we have partnerships with um, city colleges, with community colleges in the area, College DuPage, College of Lake County. Um, they're called articulation agreements. It's for students to take, um, to know the courses that they need to take in order to transfer to Columbia College Chicago. It's providing them plans, a pathway in order to get to Columbia. And that's what we're doing now. They're, formal in um, the sense that we are making an agreement that students take these courses, they're going to be admitted and um, come into these programs. But they're not formal as in guaranteed admission. So there is a difference there. So in this instance, students could go to Harper College, City Colleges of Chicago, insert school name here, with the intention of transferring and they'll be given a list of courses that will transfer to Columbia, like Graphic Design 1 or, or whatever, whatever. But it does not mean they are guaranteed admission? That's exactly right. Um, for community college students, they have so many courses that they can take, and the community college advisors are advising for a lot of different colleges, so not just Columbia College Chicago. So by providing these articulation agreements where we say, if you're pursuing graphic design at this institution, these are the courses you will take, all the way down to here's the special social science you should take. Now that was a bit of housekeeping to see what Columbia is currently doing. Now we did note off the top there was an enrollment decrease. What is Columbia currently planning on or what's in the works to try and bring enrollment back up? Absolutely. So about 60% of students take courses at multiple institutions and we know that Transfer is becoming normal for students to transfer in coursework. So we're looking to bring in um, guaranteed admission programs for our partner institutions. So if a student graduates with an associate degree, which is the two-year degree, about 60 mm -hmm. to 64 hours at their community college, that we can guarantee their admission to specific programs here. They'd have to let us know who they are earlier, mm -hmm. and we would have to work with them to ensure that they're taking the right courses, earning the grades, and 
doing what they need to do and able to get in. But providing that early, yes, you do this, you're going to get in, that's going to help students. It kind of gets rid of that um, question of, am I going to get in? Am I taking the right courses? And um, it provides security with that. And then tying it with Michael's initiatives of scholarship building and um, helping students, they're making really um, practical choices to go to community colleges, um, either to save money or to find out exactly what they want to do. And then they find out that mm -hmm. we offer it at Columbia. It brings is, them right over. Is that currently in place or about to be in place? It's about to be in place. Um, hoping to have that one of my first initiatives, um, hopefully to announce in this spring semester. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that the major initiative now or are there other things to be expecting or is there something else we should be on the lookout for? Um, another transfer initiative is a concurrent enrollment program where students could be attending at a partner community college and be able to take a course or two at Columbia in their desired major and to be able to um, have them experience all that Columbia can offer that their community college can't and then be able to work with them, specialized advising again. So they'd be at both institutions at the same time. That one's going to take a little bit more time in developing and working out, um, but that's next on the horizon. Hmm. Okay, that's two large programs, initiative policies, whatever you like to call them, that we can be expecting in the near future to help drive enrollment. But is there another piece of the transfer student puzzle that we may be missing? I can make one quick comment on Columbia is becoming a very transfer-friendly and transfer-inclusive institution um, where we are accepting more credits from the community college. There has been a um, reworking of the um, essential liberal arts and sciences in the Columbia core um, to mirror what is um, accepted at the state level, at the gen general education core curriculum. So that students are transferring from the community college and their courses are being accepted. And that's going to lead to increased retention. Well, first, it's going to lead to more applications and more acceptance of those offers. And then staying here and getting through and going on to be successful. And so there's a reworking. So they're more, you're trying to make it more transfer friendly. Like this Absolutely. LAS core will line up more with this yeah. one. Okay. Absolutely. I kind of want to sidestep off of transfer initiatives specifically. Michael, I am kind of curious, are there any other non-transfer related uh, programs or things in the works to help increase enrollment at Columbia? So Blaze, in terms of kind of the, the big picture for us relative to how do we, how do we turn it around and start growing as opposed to shrinking, uh, I, I would identify three things, and Holly's hit on some of this, but one would be the whole question of affordability not only on the front end and making the place more affordable for students who want to come, because we see a lot of inquiries, we get a lot of applications, really solid students, but we've seen a tendency over the last few years of losing a lot of students at the end who just can't afford to be here. Uh, and then retention is a big issue, and, and, and cost and ability to pay for their education here becomes an issue. So, you know, you grow enrollment by bringing in more new students and keeping the ones that you already have. So that's, that's, that's a primary focus is the affordability issue. The second is we want to become a little more national. We already are to some extent. We have a pretty broad base of students, but we think that we can be even more successful uh, with student enrollment by looking outside of, outside of Illinois. Uh, we want to take care of business at home, obviously, but we think we can do better outside that. 
And then the next piece would be, and this is a process over time, it's the development of new academic programs. Um, what's hot? What are students looking for? What is it that we can do with existing programs to maybe re-engineer them so that they're, they're more relevant? Um, we think we have a lot of good things, obviously, but we know there are things on the horizon that are going to be the programs of the future, and we should be on the forefront of doing that. So I think those three things, affordability, accessibility, and uh, new programs. And with new programs, it's kind of like, you know, with social media exploding, like adding new courses in that field to get yeah. more people well, to new, teach Well, actually new majors, and so, and, and who knows what those are, right? But I think over the next four or five years, uh, department chairs, deans are going to be looking at what is, what's next for us, what's the next iteration of programs for Columbia College going forward that uh, will be attractive to students and so draw students in. We could see new majors in the next four to five years. I, I'm, I'm convinced that we will, and I think I think it'll, some of them will be on the graduate side, obviously, but I think the majority of them will be new undergraduate programs, new undergraduate majors. Mm -hmm. So new programs, new majors, you know, forthcoming in potentially the next four to five years. But you mentioned retention. I am curious, what are the tools to keep students at Columbia and to increase retention? Yeah, I, I would again. I, I don't. I can't speak to the specific programs that are happening, for example, on the academic side, but I think there's two issues. One, the affordability issue. I know I keep coming back to mm -hmm. that, but, you know, you, you probably have friends or you know folks who just can't stay because they just can't afford it. Uh, so dealing with that issue is really, really important, number one. And then number two, academic support. I'm a big believer if you can, if you don't have any issues with your financial, the ability to pay, and you're doing well academically, you tend to like the place that you're at mm -hmm. and you tend to stay. And so, but when, when that's not the case, when finances become a real issue and you're not doing well academically, people leave in droves. And so we've got to, I think, attack retention from those two fronts, affordability and then uh, academic success. Do you have any plans or programs you're thinking about to address affordability? Could it be more scholarships or was it kind of what you're mentioning with college students, not college, transfer students coming in, you know, shortening the amount of time they may be here? That's, that's definitely a piece of it. Yeah, and then just, just yeah, again, scholarships up front, um, making sure that we're not leaving students with a lot of unmet need. That's a big issue. We have a lot of students who are Pell-eligible students, for example, who have high financial need, and we need to do a little bit better there in terms of cutting, cutting that cost down for them. And then as far as students who aren't coming from high school, students who aren't here who may need scholarships or be retained, what is Columbia doing to engage younger students at the high school level? It's that notion of kind of dual enrollment while you're still in high school. I mean, there are lots of schools, mm -hmm. as you know, in high school that where students are 16 credits under mm -hmm. their belt because while they were at Barrington High School, they took a course from the University of Illinois, you know, a satellite campus or something. So uh, that's also something that I think we're going to be looking at down the road so that we're present as a college in high schools providing courses for students. They may choose still not to enroll here. They can take those credits anywhere they want. But obviously, if if you're the place where they're getting their college credits, then there's a more of an affinity with our institution. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, is something that we'll be looking at as well. So it's not just dual enrollment with colleges. It's dual enrollment in high school. Did you do anything in high school? I didn't, but I know some of those programs were in place, but that was for, like, science-y stuff. And okay. I was more of like, oh, I don't want to do science. Right. So, um, and you said that Well, that's take... what would make it really, because that's true. At a lot of high schools right now, that is the case. There's a lot of other institutions that are in there already doing those kinds of things. There are not a lot of places that are doing the creative arts the way we do. So, I think, I think there would be a lot of students who might be very interested in that. So it fills the niche of like, I don't want to study the human body, but yeah. I want to do graphic design. Yeah, well, I mean, if we, were, if, we were, if we were at Barrington when you were in high school there, you probably would have considered it, right? 
And when can we expect this program to get in place? Is that a five plus year, years or more, or? Well, I, I would imagine no. we could do it earlier, sooner than that. So maybe um, two, two years. years? Okay. Yeah. To talk more about what Columbia is doing to engage the younger demographic, I've brought in Robert Tenges to the studio. Robert, you can just sit right. Actually, okay. you. Um, right. So where do I, where, do, where would you like me to sit? Right here, mm -hmm. right yeah. in this chair. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks so much. Wow, it's great to be here. Okay, now I've got the system recording now. Can I get you to state your first and last name, then your title to college? Uh, my name's Robert Tenges. I'm the assistant provost for continuing and community education at Columbia College Chicago. Okay, and when we hear continuing and community education, is that, you know, you went to school, you stopped, now I'm back at school? Or? Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, although my office right now is almost exclusively focused on um, pre-collegiate youth programs because our online division is going after the continuing education market. So how pre-collegiate youth, is that high school or is it mm -hmm. even, okay. High school is a big focus for us right now. All that was really touched on about high school was from Michael Joseph and he said that they're doing dual enrollment or they're trying to start dual enrollment, it's mm -hmm. not yet in place. Right. Is that the big program? Did he miss anything? Is there anything else you want to well, say? Well, we do a summer program called Summer at Columbia, which is a four credit high school immersion in the creative industry. So high schoolers come here for three weeks. They take a three credit hour course toward their major and then built around that program is sort of a deep dive into the creative industry. So they get, they live on campus, they are um, mentored by a faculty member and then by a student mentor that's selected by that faculty member. And so they're taking a course toward the degree, but then they're also, um, say in our filmmaking course, they're going to Cinespace and they're visiting the set of Empire and they're doing, they're going to Cartemquin Films. And so, each one of these uh, programs that we do in the summer, these three-week immersions, are guided by a faculty mentor within the department. Okay. So we piloted that program in 2017, so just a year and a half ago. We built it, we grew it uh, this past summer, and we're going to grow it again this coming summer. Is it still in the pilot phase, or is it merged beyond? Oh, no, we're, we're, we're growing it. I mean, we piloted it in 2017 with two cohorts, one in filmmaking and one in business and entrepreneurship. And then this last year, we added a cohort in uh, investigative journalism podcasting with, podcasting with Suzanne McBride, Sam Rowe, Matt Cunningham. And then we also added um, uh, game development. Okay. And so this year, we're going to be moving into creative writing, screenwriting, uh, digital music production, and we may do something in fashion. We're talking to fashion right now. But also, it's helping bring talented kids to the college. And so... Again, we piloted the program in 2017, and it already has a 50% commitment rate. In other words, 50% of the eligible kids who take the program are coming here as freshmen, which is really great. And do you know how many people have enrolled in it? You said 50%, so do you know about how many that is? Yeah, I mean, right now we, we piloted the program in 2017 with like 25 kids. Mm -hmm. Last year we had 55, and we're on target to have over 100 this year. So for the last, for 2018, I can tell you that like 90% of those kids have already have applied to the college and a lot of them have um, deposited or committed. I don't have the number exactly right now because it's still a little bit early, but yeah, no we're problem. aiming for that 50% commitment rate. So then other than what you just mentioned, are there any other programs trying to drive enrollment at the high school level? Well, I think that, that Summer at Columbia is definitely aligned with the goals of our enrollment management department. Um, we're also investigating like a, um, a Saturday program that we're thinking of piloting. We're probably going to pilot in January 2020 that is for 
high schoolers, but also for uh, potentially uh, current um, commuter college students. And that's something we're talking to Holly and Michael about doing. Actually, when you say commuters, is that commuters who go here or don't go to Columbia? Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, commuters that do not go to Columbia mm -hmm. right now, but are perhaps they're either in a high school right now, locally, or they're at a community college or a local college oh, okay. and may want to transfer here. So that sort of aligns with what Holly Herrera is doing. But these programs take a long time to plan out. So that's a Saturday program, so does that mean they come like a day a week? or? Yeah, that, if, if, if we move forward with it, it would be a Saturday program for 15 weeks during the spring session in 2020. But again, this is all brand new territory for the college, so it all has to be, has to be planned. We have to find who our partners, our academic partners are. We have to market it, of course. We have to make sure it's, you know, we have to make sure we can reach the target audience, and that's why we work closely with Michael's team, Michael Joseph's team. After hearing what Columbia administrators had to say, I was curious what benefits these programs could bring. I called Frank Gaetan, Interim Associate Provost for Student Success and Retention at Northeastern Illinois University. NEIU has received grants to help them partner with community colleges to develop articulation agreements and dual enrollment programs. Um, well, I don't have data that I could just kind of give you that's really causal, but I, I could give you some speculation as to, you know, why they are generally good. Uh, yeah, why they're good elsewhere. Uh, and because they haven't been uh, in place long enough to be able to say, oh, this is exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, it, it's good for uh, keeping students within a pipeline. So by that I mean um, if you imagine multiple handoffs in a situation, there's always a, a chance that, that kind of handoff could result in something getting dropped. So the student has to kind of fill out multiple applications or go to multiple sources of information um, as opposed to kind of having the process be kind of baked in and be more seamless. Um, it reduces the likelihood of them dropping out or dropping out of the process, right? So if you tell uh, a student, you know, you have to go here and fill out this application for this and you have to fill out a whole separate application at a different school for that, whereas uh, you tell them, you know, uh, there's just one application or one process that you get in and you're kind of guaranteed admission down the road. I, I, that's the real advantage uh, that, that I think is there. Um, you also are able to line up curricula uh, better. So if you have two different uh, colleges, a community college and a four-year that are collaborating, you could actually make sure that the content that they're taking in general education requirements is really going to meet the needs of their upper division courses um, in terms of content, so that way they're prepared to perform better um, in those upper division courses. Um, so those are the, the, the real advantages. It's a matter of coordination. And if you imagine, um, uh, it's good to know that a lot of students uh, that are going to college today are what 30, 40 years ago we would have called non-traditional students. Uh, meaning uh, they're the first in their family to go to college. They're students of color. Uh, they are students whose parents uh, didn't go to college. Um, you know, maybe they don't have a lot of experience with higher ed. So if you have a lot of these handoffs and a lot of uh, a confusing process, it's going to make it a lot more difficult. But if you have much more coordination um, and if you have kind of a simpler process of transferring, um, it's going to be much better because you will then have uh, the ability to better serve students and, and make it a less confusing process for them. Frank, 
This is the million-dollar question, and it's probably on the mind of a lot of college administrators. Could what we've heard on the podcast today, dual enrollment programs, uh, uh, articulation agreements, all those, could that help increase enrollment? I think if it's structured right, it could. You know, if it's structured with the ease of access, uh, without a lot of kind of bureaucracy and confusion, um, if, if the expectations are made clear, not only will it increase kind of, uh, access and hopefully enrollment, but I think down the road, uh, success. So it's one thing to find, make it easier for students to be admitted and be enrolled, but you also want to make sure that they're successful once they're out of school. Um, and I think uh, that's the other prong here, which is that um, you're hoping that you're going to eliminate some of the redundancy. You're going to make the pathway to graduation more clear. I was also able to talk with Betty Quiros, a junior communications major who went to John F. Kennedy High School, which is part of the Chicago Public School System. And Betty told me how many of her classmates ended up going to City Colleges of Chicago. That now, even now in my high school, they push for that grant. Like, oh, hey, I, in my freshman year, I, that did not exist. My junior, like sophomore, junior, that did not exist. It came out my senior year. And me, I had been, you know, focused on school since I was a freshman, but it gives a nice initiative to people who are now, you know, freshmen, sophomores, to be like, hey, you know what, college is an option. So did a decent amount of the friends or the people you know from your high school end up going to city colleges because of yes, the, the program? Did. Yes, because of the program and because university is so expensive nowadays that they just really couldn't afford it. I was even able to ask Betty what the exact nature of City Colleges of Chicago and the Chicago Public Schools partnership was and what benefits she could gain from going to City Colleges. So essentially when I was a senior in high school, our counselors were pushing that if we did not end up getting any scholarships because you know, a scholarship to a big college isn't guaranteed. It's, you work for it, but a lot of people want to go to college. And they were saying, oh, they, pay, they, they actually give you a stipend for your book if you accumulated a 3.0 GPA and mm-hmm. in high school. So your first year at a city, city college, so let it be Harold Washington downtown, uh, Daily College over here in the south side, Malcolm X. Um, you would get a stipend for your books and your entire year would be free and you would get a refund from FAFSA. So essentially it is like getting paid. And finally... I was able to ask her what it was like going to a high school and choosing between two colleges when your school partnered with another college. Yeah, so I really, I am someone who advocates for city colleges because I feel like they are so beneficial, but I received a very, very nice scholarship from Columbia, so I was very biased because of my scholarship. Otherwise, I would not have gone to Columbia and I would have gone to a city college, even though there is a stigma of, oh, but city colleges can't offer you the experience that, you know, a big name university can or, but I don't know, if I had not received this very nice scholarship that I had from Columbia, I would have went to a city college. So it did affect me in a way that I was stressing out about it, but regardless, I had two great opportunities in front of me, so it did not really, I mean, it did affect me, but it didn't at the same time. Michael, I have one final question. When we talk about all the policies and things we've heard about today that could be coming or already here, what is a realistic number of growth we could see maybe year to year or over the next couple of years? There's thought 
going forward, say the next six, seven years, taking it out to say 2025, uh, being an institution of around 8,000 students. So that's kind of what we've been talking about across campus. And I think that's, that's a very doable number. Um, and I think that's right now, that's kind of what folks are thinking. And I think the majority of that will happen at the undergraduate level. So you said we're at about 68. I think we're a little closer to 65. 65, 39, I checked before I left now. Counting Maybe, graduate students. Or counting graduate students. Okay, my mistake. Right, sorry. Yeah, so sorry. getting that to about 8,000, is there like, you know, if you got 300 extra students a year, is that reasonable? No, I think it's step by step by step. It's, it's you know, it's, 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 and it's not the exact number over the next seven years, but it's approximately 200 and some students a year, a year for the next six to seven years. Uh, on average to get to where we need to get. I think the biggest jump could happen in three or four years if you think about it logically in terms of maybe that's when the new programs kick in. Michael, Holly, thank you. Stepping in for Blaze Mesa, I'm Kendall Polidori, staff reporter and producer for Chronicle Headlines. Today we're talking to Yasmin Shika, staff reporter, about her article about the mayor's race. Hey Kendall, thanks for having me on. My article about the mayor's race was really interesting because I got to talk with people all about their different viewpoints. So I spoke with a professor from the University of Illinois at Chicago in political science. I spoke with a member of the Black Student Union here at Columbia College. And I also spoke with a DePaul student and a journalism student here. So it was really interesting to hear the different viewpoints. What were some of the viewpoints that the students and professors had? Well, a lot of the viewpoints did pertain back to the Chicago Police Department and how they need to implement change. So when I spoke with the student from the Black Student Union, she kind of put forth an emphasis on how the next mayor really needs to take into consideration the minorities at the school, not <laughs> the minorities in Chicago, and how change needs to be implemented in the justice system so that way everybody's equal. And uh, did she mention um, what this change could be or what it looks like? Well, she did address the Van Dyke verdict. And obviously, you know, that's really big in the news right now because that, that just recently passed. So when she addressed it, she said, I, I can't quote this word for word, but she said, when we, okay, she said Chicagoans are always trying to sympathize with the white man and we always try to victimize, not victimize, like villainize the minority. And that they're always looking for like some type of scapegoat basically for the cop or like the white civilian. So she talked a lot about social justice and how like there could be change implemented and there's a, like a lot of misunderstandings in the justice system. And did any of the people that you spoke to, did they list um, specific candidates that they were hoping would win or that they want? So nobody wanted to share who they want to win or vote for because, you know, that's more so like their personal choice. Um, but a journalism student that I spoke to here, her name was Arielle Lotz. She was very interested in the fact that there are four women running for mayor right now. And that 
two of them actually are African-American women. So if a woman was to be selected, there is a two out of four chance from those women that one of them, that she will be African-American, which is insane because they will be the first African-American woman or the third and the third mayor to be African-American in Chicago. All right, great. Thanks so much. That's about all the time we have. Um, Thank you, Yasmin, for speaking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus, on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CEC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of the chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. Chronicle Headlines is produced by Blaze Mesa, Kendall Polidori, Yasmin Shika. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next week.